Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Holy, a practical guide for making the holidays holy days. And we are about 58 days away from 2018 right now. Um, I just got back from El Salvador. It was an incredible trip and I hope that you were able to see a couple of the videos that I made while I was there. One of them is in a very beautiful place. The other one is in a little bit of a loud place, but amen, it is what it is. Um, I am excited. I just wanted to say welcome to all of you. Some of you are just starting. Some of you have been going for a for um, almost the whole time. And I just want to say how glad I am that you've chosen to end your 2017 in this way. I don't think that you will be disappointed in any way. You know, I realized um, I have been having an, an amazing season. And you know me, I will tell you if it has been a complete struggle or if it's if I'm coming at a point of weakness or whatever. But you know, honestly, I just realized that God is really doing something miraculous with me. I, I didn't realize that I had, I sort of have started to look forward to this time of year. You know, um, when I was growing up, I loved Christmas. I loved everything about it. I loved the, I loved lights. I loved decorating. I loved the, the movies and the songs and everything. I just thought it was a total blast. Love this time of year. Um, and then as I grew older, you know, it still was such a, a sweet time. But I think as I got, uh, older spiritually, I started to realize, man, it's a little shallow. <laughs> it's it's leaving me a little shallow. It's leaving me a little thin. And then um, as, you know, more and more kids were added on to it, I was like, and it's a burden. Okay, now we're into the burden. And um, it's starting not to be so fun, you know. So I started just sort of having a, a negative spirit about Christmas, almost a dread. Like, here it comes. It's going to be shallow. It's going to be lacking. And all I'm going to hear about is that's the true meaning of Christmas. I hate that. You know, anyway, uh, more to come on that later. But I realized I had just started to, you know, have a sort of love-hate relationship with the season. And um, I'm telling you, for the past couple of years, as God has been changing it totally and stripping it away, I feel so incredibly fulfilled. It's kind of like that same feeling I had when I started doing the Sabbath celebrating the Sabbath and taking these, you know, 24 hours off just to relax and be with God, I started realizing uh, my body totally adjusted. Like um, when when normally I would get up really early during the week on, on the Sabbath day, I will sleep. I will sleep so long. I will sleep long and hard. I will um, rest completely. And it's the weirdest thing. It's like my body completely adjusted to it as if it was um, the best thing then exactly the way it was designed to be which that's what I believe but this time of year has really become to me that time that I look forward to like I know this is going to be a time for me to strip away um, that sin that so easily entangles I'm it, I get to run faster you know run with perseverance the rate the race marked out for me and um, it just feels great it feels great to lighten the load um, to get rid of the greed and, and more stuff from my heart and it just feels great to be consecrated and um, it, it slows me down a lot because I'm consciously choosing to go slower so that I can walk behind God and only do what he's calling me to do. Um, whether that means I get less done or, or more done, doesn't matter. I'm going to go at his pace and his pace is always the best pace. So I, I realize that um, I've just been looking forward to this time and it has been uh, it has just been an incredible blessing. 
Okay, having said that, I want to just pick up where we left off last time, which was we were talking about real-time repentance. And that is the concept that as you're giving up something or trying to overcome a stronghold or doing anything to change the way that you live, you're going to have these times when you stumble. And when you stumble, though, you're going to repent in real time. That means right then as it's happening, as quickly as you can, you're going to say you're sorry, uh, if that's what's necessary, say that sorry to the people that are around you. You're going to apologize to God. You're going to pray. You're going to do whatever it is to stop that sin snowball before it starts. And you're going to just be like Jack Bauer and you're going to repent in real time. Okay. And I just want to deepen that concept today by um, reading from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter, oh, chapter 4, verse 14. We're going to start there. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And just stopping right here, um, one of the biggest things that I got out of this passage during this reading, and I'm sure that you've probably read this a few times, but the thing that really stuck out to me was these last this last sentence where it says, so that, I wonder why that stuck out to me, right? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If you would like to find help in those times of need, those times where you are like, I can't believe I'm doing this again. God, help me. You know, if you want to find help in those times of need, you need to follow this so that scripture. You need to work it backwards and you go, well, what am I supposed to do so that I'm supposed to approach the throne of grace with confidence? And, you know, this first point that I got out of this passage, I wrote down as help comes from the throne of grace. Help comes from the throne of grace. I find it incredibly amazing that God would name his throne the throne of grace. You know, you have these uh, the, the thought of the throne, the king. Do they want to rule with an iron scepter? Is it the iron throne? What is it? You know, what, what kind of throne is it? And he says, my throne is a throne of grace, ultimate power and ultimate grace. And if you want to find help, you're going to be getting it when you need grace. You know, I think we ask God for help a lot of times. We, uh, God, help me to have a great day. Help me on this test. Help me get to work on time. Help me do it. But I think what we're really asking for in those moments is just, you know, be a partner with God. You know, I've done my best. I'm pretty good, but I just need a little help. If you could just help me out a little bit here. You know, those are those help me out a little bit prayers, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you feel like I cannot do this. I can't take it. I can't. I am my fear is overwhelming me. My sin is, is, is so huge. My sinful nature is so pulling on me. It feels gargantuan. It feels Herculean. It feels like I could not get to it. I can't beat it down. But what happens is when we go to the throne of grace, it's like that, that verse from um, Splinters and Stones, I think it's called. I, I love that song, but it, it says, Compassion crashing down upon my debt. You know, it's, it's when you, it, you see the compassion of God, the throne of grace, because Jesus can 
can identify with every weakness that we have. And he comes in and he goes, let me help you. He stoops down to help us, to help the humble. And so we have to look for our help from that time when we need the grace the most. That's when we need to be asking for help. And it's going to come from that. It's going to come from approaching the throne of grace. So many times we rely on our own willpower, really. We, some of us, at, to this point, right, up until this moment, you've been going on your own willpower up to this moment to change whatever it is that you want to change in your life because you're pretty good. You're, you're pretty strong. You're pretty good at willpower. <laughs> you can lose weight anytime you want. You can, you can, you know, tighten up the belt here and there, wherever you want, whenever you want. But that's you. You're relying on you. That's you power. I'm talking about relying on God's power, going to the throne of grace to get your help. Okay, so that was the first thing that struck me about this passage. And, um, you know, I've been writing out Hebrews. So what I do is I write down, I just copy it. I had told you that before, like, you know, kind of like a scribe. But then I rewrite it in words that make sense to me. And ironically, this next section, um, I wasn't even going to rewrite because I thought that it... Um, I didn't need it or something I didn't need to. And it became the most profound thing that um, for me in verse in chapter five, verse one, it says, every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. That is why he has to offer sacrifice for his own sin as well as for the sins of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I become your father. And he says in another place, you are the priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And I was thinking about this concept that it, right here in the middle, it says um, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. And the second point I wrote down as weakness is a blessing. Weakness is a blessing. You know, oftentimes we see our own weaknesses as a liability. We see it as, you know, man, if I just was, if I was stronger, then I could be a better leader. Whether you're leading people or whether you're trying to parent your kids, you can, you can have this reasoning that, you know, your weaknesses are ruining you, that your weaknesses are slowing you down, that your weaknesses um, can become a, a, uh, an excuse for why you can't lead people and why you can't be, you know, why you're failing as a parent or whatever. And uh, we see it as like, well, how could I tell other people what to do? How could I tell my kids what to do when I can't even do it myself? I'm just a big hypocrite. And hypocrisy, we start to see it as inevitable. But hypocrisy is not the only option. <laughs> I would put forth that hypocrisy is not the only option. You know, right here it says that his weakness is what makes him gentle. It's what makes him be able to deal with other people's sins, their wanderings, their sins, with compassion and gentleness. And I started realizing that, you know, this, I've been watching this happen in my own house. Because when I got back from El Salvador, you know, it was like I, I was so worried 
because I was thinking, how's this going to go? You know, I'd had my one day, my one spirit day before uh, on the very first day I tried. The second day I had a real time repentance day. I was like, yay. Well, the third day I went out of town basically and I've been gone and that I wasn't going to be, I'm just not tempted in the same way. I'm not going to lose my temper with the grownups. I'm just not, I'm, I don't know. It's probably not going to happen. Maybe I will now that I've said I wouldn't, but it's not as much of a temptation. Um, but I was, as I was coming back, I just started feeling sort of this dread of like, oh, I get afraid of my own sinful nature. You know, like, I just don't know if I'm going to be strong enough and, you know, relying on myself. And I, that's what, that's a problem that, you know, just all thinking through, I'm, I only have my own strength, forgetting that I have God's strength to go on and that I can approach the throne of grace. But I was just sort of worried about it. But then as I came home and I was just, you know, deliberately going slowly, watching, trying to watch for God's lead in every single thing, you know, watching for, do you want me to unpack right now? Do you not want me to pack right now? You know what I'm talking about, Paris, when you re-enter after you've been gone, woo, it can be brutal, okay? And especially if you've been on a spiritual retreat of any kind. If you have been someplace spiritual or you've gotten really fed by God, I mean, Satan comes in with a vengeance to try to ruin that re-entry to take away anything that you gained from that trip, he's going to try to take it away in the first, you know, hour that you've been home. And it has happened to me numerous times, okay? So that's why we, if you ever hear parents say, I'm praying for your re-entry, that's what they're talking about. And I had, I actually had a couple of friends text me, hey, praying for your re-entry. I'm like, thank you. But I was just deliberately going really slow. Okay, God, do you want me to unpack right now? Do you want me to watch a movie with the kids right now? Do you want me to, you know, and they're, they're full of their own anxieties because, they're glad that I'm back, but they're mad at me for being gone. And you know what I'm talking about. Um, if you have a traveling spouse, I used to do that to Jay. Jay was on the road, and I would, I'd be so happy he was back, but I'd also be mad at him for being gone. And it would be like this horrible reentry. And I think my kids do that to me, too. They're happy that I'm back, but they're mad that I was gone. So they have their own emotions going on. I'm like, what do you want me to do? And so it makes it really difficult. So I was very worried about it. But I was just trying to follow and as I was doing it, actually, it was going pretty good. But, you know, it wasn't, wasn't, I wasn't getting off scot-free or anything. Um, there was many struggles. I was parenting from that moment I got home on, I think it was Thursday afternoon, and then, you know, coming home also to my house that had been run by basically three, teenage, three teenagers, well, two teenagers and a preteen for a week. You can imagine what it looked like. So finally, by about noon the next day, I had my house back in some sort of order, but along the way, I, it was a constant, I had to be parenting the whole time. And I was just walking and relying on God, but I had this moment where I, um, one, something happened, and I just flashed. Before I knew it, I was like, ah, oh, and um, I almost, you know, started to yell, and I, even as I was like, no, guys, and then I went, wait, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And that was the next word that came out of my mouth was, no, 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 I'm sorry. I'm not going to, I'm not going to yell at you. Okay, here's what happened. And then I take them back through and I explain to them. Well, it's really interesting because, um, you know, I felt like in that moment, I didn't feel a little bit like, oh, geez, failure again. But um, later on, as I was trying to help my daughter who struggles with, um, she, she struggles with uh, being quick to anger. She's working on being slow to anger, but she's very quick. And when I say quick, she's quicker than me, a lot faster than me. So she gets quick to anger. And as she's been doing that, the, the hard thing for her is once she's blown it or once she's been caught doing something, I think even post about this, she had been caught doing something that she wasn't supposed to do. And then I correct her 
and then she hardens her heart to the correction. So she hardens her heart to the correction, so that leads down a terrible road for her. So she hasn't learned how to do the real-time repentance. So basically she's going to take a couple, it could be a couple hours of her just working through, uh, trying to get back to where she could just basically say that little, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that, and, and, and repent. It becomes this two-hour thing of um, hardness of heart and talks and consequences imposed. And now you didn't listen to the kind voice, so now you have to be taught by consequences. That's a bummer. You know, oh, it's this long thing. But this time, because she's been seeing me, she has seen me, um, you know, sort of lose my temper and then say, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And change. She has a model. So she's seeing that. She's seeing what it would look like to repent in real time. So what I'm viewing as a failure is not a failure at all. It's a lesson for her. God is just using me as an instrument to teach her. And if I was strong and if I already had this and if I didn't have to ask for help and if I didn't have to ask for forgiveness and if I didn't have to say I'm sorry, then she would never be able to learn these lessons. But in my pride, I don't want to be messed up and I don't want to be... Um, I don't want to be messing up. And I, what, when I do that, I'm missing a way bigger lesson that God is trying to do for my kids. He is using me to model for them what real-time repentance would look like. What does it look like to approach the throne of grace with confidence? What does that look like? And so I'm giving them a lesson. And number two, I'm learning about myself through this passage. Because here it says that his weakness, weakness makes him gentle. Because the thought would be that when you know that you struggle with something, so here is a high priest, and in this case it was any high priest, and, and then specifically it becomes Jesus Christ. When you know that you struggle with something, it should lead you to compassion for the other person who's struggling. So that love is what fills your heart for that person. But here's what's interesting with me, and it could be for you, is that when I am faced with my own weaknesses and when I see them I become harsh rather than gentle because I'm embarrassed because of my pride I don't want to be struggling with this so it's embarrassing that I am so there comes pride rearing its ugly head and then I get filled with shame so I have this I have embarrassment I have sadness and I have fear. That shame is, it's fear. I'm never going to be able to change. I'm never going to. And so that becomes from where I speak. That those emotions go into the control center of my brain. And I start becoming harsh. Because really I'm just mad at myself. I'm angry that I'm not perfect yet. Or that I'm not, that, that, that I struggle. Honestly, that's what it is. As I just don't want to be bothered with the struggle. And it makes me even more harsh. So when I'm looking at myself, it's kind of that whole thing that we're, you know, um, we hate we we hate people who are remind us of ourselves. You know, you've heard that before, and that's that's can be exactly how I am. Is that when I'm very in touch with my weaknesses, it makes me a harsher person. Here it says that Jesus. Being able to identify with our weaknesses actually makes him gentle in the way that he deals with us. And that just totally inspired me to go, that's the way I need to be dealing with my kids is from this completely gentle spirit because I have a great um, 
compassion for people because they are struggling with what I'm struggling with because I'm in touch with my own weaknesses. And I realized that um, I've never been a person that was in, uh, gentleness has never been, you know, one of my strengths. And uh, so that's really obviously very um, confounding for a wife when basically the Bible says that you need to have a gentle and quiet spirit. You know, I've always found that was really hard. I was helped one at one point in my life when Deb uh, DeFlores had done this study on um, being meek and she had showed me that that scripture means that you're, you're meek, which is power in... Um, you know, under control, and that, that helped me a little bit, but I've always been disconnected with the thought of gentleness, and it's just because my my mechanism for dealing with peop- with my own self and my own insecurities and my own weaknesses is to go straight to, to embarrassment, which produces a harshness in um, my manner. So I just learned a great lesson about myself. You want to know where your anger is coming from? This is how you learn how to deal with yourself, is you study God's word and you let him speak to you through it. And that's what I got out of that middle section, which actually was sort of revolutionary and (laughs) life-changing. Okay. Um, And then the third thing is in the next section um, where it says, uh, I turned the page... During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated to be by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And on this last section, I think I just, I didn't have a really, you know, I didn't have a a sentence that um, I wrote down about it. But the thing that sticks out to me is when it says that Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. And I just have this picture that Jesus cried and he yelled and he um, uh, prayed and he begged. And to see that image of Jesus begging God. That is how Jesus lived in order to be obedient. And I think that I, I have this image that I want to get my spiritual life somehow on this planet to be one with, with no, I don't struggle with anything anymore. You know, I, I don't struggle. <laughs> you know, that I'm going to rise above every, I'm going to rise above actually Jesus here because Jesus never got to the point where I am picturing in my mind where, well, everything's just going to be so, I'm going to be so submissive and I'm going to be so um, holy or whatever it is that I'm not going to even be tempted to overeat. I'm not going to be tempted to yell. I'm not going to be tempted. You know, that's what I'm looking for. I'm actually looking for heaven. That's what I'm looking for. And I have to be constantly reminded, you know, Jesus was begging God in order to be obedient, in order to be holy. And, you know, more than, uh, you know, I think I'm looking for a life that even that Jesus wasn't expecting. And I, it helped me just to remember, you know, Jesus was having to cry out for these things. And through that struggle, he was made obedient. That's what it says. He learned obedience from what he suffered. And it really helps me because I have been able to learn. And I don't know if it's been just pounded into me through uh, all the years, but obedience is a blessing. (laughs) I love to obey. And I mean, I love it because I have seen that when I just do what God says, simple obedience to his simple commands 
it is like the world lights up in color because everything works the way that honestly that it should. Um, it's when I push the boundaries and try to live outside the boundaries and, and then there's this huge you know, struggle. But when I live inside the boundaries of God, it actually unlocks these huge amount of blessings. And so I have learned that obedience brings blessings and I see that Jesus was taught to obey through the struggle. So who am I to think that I will be taught obedience with no struggle whatsoever? And it really helps me to uh, stop to stop being so entitled and to stop, you know, thinking I deserve something that's easier, you know, because that is my middle name. I, this needs to be easier. <laughs> Why does that have to be so hard? And I, I'm always looking for the easier way. But if I'll just stop myself and go, no, there, I'm, I'm not going to be searching for an easier way. This is the way. The struggle is how I learn obedience. Then it frees me up from trying to get out of that and just allows me to have the, um, you know, sort of the mental capacity to go, I'm just going to be struggling through exactly like Jesus did. And if and he is my model. If, if I'm expecting to live a life of a Jesus follower, I need to be, be expecting that I'm going to be living a life of a struggle just as he was. So anyway, that's, that was just sort of the deeper understanding, I think, of, of real-time repentance is that it's going to come from um, approaching the throne of grace. It's going to come from seeing your weaknesses as a blessing. And it's going to come from crying out and not trying to escape the struggle that's going to create the exact obedience in life that you've been looking for. And I hope this helps you. Until next time.